Well, as I mentioned there, as I was praying, this is one of those difficult subjects for Christians to deal with. People wonder all the time about this issue of, of suffering, and the question is, why do good people suffer? I mean, we get it that bad people suffer when they do things wrong or aren't doing things God's way. We, we get that, that maybe they'll be suffering because of that, but why would God allow good people, you know, like you and me, <laughs> why would he allow us to suffer? The question isn't new. It's been asked for centuries since the beginning of time. In fact, one of the reasons why we have the book of Job is because God was answering that question back then. So go ahead and turn to Job, the book of Job. It's in the Old Testament. It's page 518 if you're using the Bible there in the, in the chairs. And as you do that, let me just give you some background to this book. Uh, first of all, uh, scholars are kind of all over the place as to uh, who wrote it, the dating of it. Even conservative scholars, uh, they debate on who actually wrote it and when it was actually written. But what they do agree on is that it got into the holy writings of Israel by Moses, that he made sure that it got in there. Uh, the setting of the story is the patriarchal period. And by that we mean around before or around the time of Abraham. And so we're talking, uh, the setting is about 2,000 or more years before Christ. So, uh, and there's some other reasons why we believe that. Um, first of all, he wasn't Jewish. We know that by, because he's from the land of Uz, which I think is kind of a funny name. Where are you from? Uz. It's kind of weird. Um, but anyway, so he's from the land of Uz, and if you know of the Old Testament, you've got Israel over there on the Mediterranean, that uh, Noah's descendants, Shem, one of his sons, his descendants actually moved down into this area, and Uz is Noah's great-grandson, and so to honor him, they built a town or an area uh, that they called Uz. So we know that he's not Jewish, um, from, he's from that area. Secondly, his wealth is measured in possessions. It's measured in cattle and how many servants he had. And if you get in later on into the, the Bible, you see wealth is measured by money and that type of thing. So the patriarchs are usually their finance or their wealth is measured by, by cattle and servants. He was a priest for his family. So we know it wasn't later on with Moses and that because then they had the Mosaic Law and they put in a, a priest system. So he was actually the priest for his family and did the sacrifices and led the family in worship. And his age is that of the patriarchs. We don't know exactly how old Job was when he died, but we do know he lived 140 years uh, after all this time of suffering. So he had a pretty long life uh, even after the things that we are reading um, in Job. Scholars do agree on that this is one of the most difficult books to interpret. Um, it's got some uniqueness to it in the language that's used and, and the style of language that's used. It's in Hebrew, but it's kind of oldish Hebrew. But it also is difficult because it deals with understanding God's sovereignty. When we say sovereignty, we're talking about the fact that God is in ultimate control of all things. So he's sovereign. And, and so there's some difficulties with this as we read God's word and his sovereignty as it pertains then with our finiteness, our limitedness, the fact that we have very limited understanding of things. 
we, we don't have the wisdom of God. We don't have the understanding of God. And so then when we bring about this idea of suffering, it's difficult to understand God being ultimately in control, but us having to suffer, and what's that all about? The experience of Job's life begs some questions, and there's three big questions that uh, we'll look at as we go through this. First of all, as I've mentioned, are God's ways just or fear when good or innocent people suffer? So that's one of the big questions that Job and his friends are going to be wrestling with. It's a question that we're going to have to wrestle with in our lives. If we consider ourselves or see ourselves, or maybe even we, we are good people, is God fear? Is he just to allow us to suffer? Uh, Job and his friends, they kind of believed in what we call today retribution theology. And that, what that means is they believe that if a person sinned, then God would judge them. And so they're wrestling with that. Okay, so Job's suffering, but Job's saying he's not a sinner, so something's not right. And they get pretty heated. The majority of this book is a pretty heated discussion between Job and his friends. In fact, with friends like them, I'm not sure if you would ever want enemies, but... Um, the second question is, whose wisdom should we use when evaluating our suffering? Do we use our wisdom, which, like I said, is limited? Or do we use God's wisdom and look at our suffering from his point of view? And the last one, can I trust God when I don't understand what he's doing? Can I truly trust someone, God in this case, who would allow this to happen? And so, in this series, and if you're doing any kind of study through Job, these are the things we're going to be wrestling with. God's sovereignty, our limitedness and understanding what's going on, and what it is that we really believe about who God is. Is He good? Is He just? Is He righteous? Fear. So, this morning we're going to take some time and set up the story, give some background information out of Job chapter 1. So we're going to look at Job's reputation, because that's kind of a key thing here, about who God, who God says Job is, and then God's sovereignty and how that plays into, eventually, Satan's scheme, and then Job's response, and into the rest of the book. So we're going to kind of set things up this morning. So we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 5 first, and we want to get introduced to Job, and from what we can tell, he's a pretty good, pretty good guy. It says this, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, in other words, uh, make sure that they're not having sin in their life. And he did that by rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So what do we learn about Job? Job's a good man, right? I mean, everybody would consider Job to be sounding like a very good man. He was blameless. In other words, no one could ever accuse him of doing anything wrong. He was upright. He was fearing God. He turns away from evil. and He was turning from evil. He has this idea that every time evil was, he was tempted with evil, he would turn from it and do life God's way. 
Again, sounds like a great guy. He's a, a family man. He's, his wife, ten kids. Uh, he was a spiritual leader, so he set up the, the spiritual environment for his family well. Um, and so, um, he had 7,000 sheep. He had 3,000 camels. Uh, he had 1,000 oxen. 500 female donkeys, a bunch of servants. I mean, this guy had it all. He had gobs and gobs of stuff. Not only that, but he was considered the greatest of all men of the East. So as people thought about Job, they thought this man was a great man. Now this is a, an important piece of the information for us. So as we go move through Job, this is going to be something we've got to keep in mind. That the common belief back then, as I was talking about before, when I talk about uh, retribution theology, there was also what we would call today kind of a prosperity gospel. There was this idea that if you lived right, God would bless you with material blessings. And if you didn't live right, God would curse you or judge you or cause suffering in your life. Now, in the Bible, this is generally true, but not always. It's not something that God is, you know, the cut and dry mathematical equation, do these things, these things are going to happen. God's not obligated, when we put this kind of spiritual recipe together in our lives, God's not obligated to necessarily bless us. So, um, Michael Grisanti, he writes a book, um, The World and the Word. And if, if you're looking for a good book that kind of Encapsulates, encapsulates all the Old Testament. And it gives you each book and kind of how it's broken down and the major themes in it. it this would be a great book for you to have in your library. So he's referencing uh, Derek Kidner. He wrote a book called The Wisdom of the Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. And he says this, As Kidner points out, about nine-tenths of life is regular and manageable and quietly rewarding to those who follow the principles found in Scripture. This is the portion of life Proverbs, Proverbs addresses. So if you're familiar with Proverbs, if you read through that, Proverbs has these general truths about life. They're not necessarily promises. They're just general truths that, as he says, nine-tenths of the time, this is going to be true. So train up a child in the way he should walk, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Right? We're familiar with that one? Well, that's just a general truth. It's not a, a promise. It's just kind of a general truth. If you do these things, this is what's going to happen in your family. Job and Ecclesiastes, however, address the approximately one-tenth that is wholly unexpected and unexplained. Job, in particular, rejects any airtight formula that affirms that the righteous always prosper and the wicked are always destroyed. This is one of the things that Job and his friends are going to have to be wrestling through and something we're going to have to wrestle with, as we've said, is, is God still just and fair if he allows good people to suffer? If we're not being blessed but of experiencing suffering. The last thing we see about Job is that he was a consist, consistent man. So thus, Job did continually. In other words, this was what Job's life was all about. Job's life was doing life God's way. That's what he was all about. Like I said, he even said that he's turning from evil. Anytime he had an opportunity to, to go down a wrong road, to make a wrong choice, he made sure that he didn't do that. This is what his life was all about. So he's a great guy. I think all of us would look at him and say, I could see being friends with this guy. I mean, not just because you want to ride his camels, but for the fact that he's a nice guy. He seemed like he'd be trustworthy, he'd be faithful, loyal, and help us out. 
So here we had Job living life, doing life God's way, concerned about it, determined to do it, kind of minding his own business, if you want to call it that, but there's something brewing in heaven. Unbeknownst to Job, we know, but Job didn't know, that there's going to be discussion in heaven between God and Satan about Job. And so, here's how it goes. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant, servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So people kind of look at this and go, wait, 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 wait a second. Satan is in God's presence, and they kind of get distracted by what we really need to look at. Yes, Satan can be in God's presence because God, God is all-powerful. He can handle evil. He can handle Satan. He's sovereign, right? What we need to look at here is that issue of sovereignty. And when we deal with suffering, it starts with God's sovereignty. And there's three areas or three things that we see from God's sovereignty in, this, uh, in these verses. And the first one is that when God calls, Satan must come. He must report before God. So the, the sons of God, the angels, report to God and Satan created being, has to, also, has to also report before God. Now here's the deal. Notice that Satan is not sovereign. As you're thinking about your life, and as you're thinking about suffering in your life, and suffering in the lives of your friends and family, God, or Satan is not sovereign. In other words, he is not in full control. He only has control that God may allow. He's also uh, not um, omnipresent which means he can't be everywhere at once. People have this idea that, well, he's an angel, so he can be everywhere. No, he can't. He's roaming around here and there. He, he can only be in one place at one time, just like you and I can only be at one place in one time. And the other thing is he's not omniscient. In other words, he doesn't know everything. In fact, if he knew everything, he would have known that this was kind of a dumb thing for him to try to do to get Job to curse God. He would have realized this isn't going to work because he would have seen the future, but he doesn't see the future, which is a good reason for why he does all the stuff he does because he just filled with pride, number one, but then also he's not omniscient. But God is sovereign. He is control of all things. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere at one time. He's here today. He's everywhere at once, and he is omniscient. He knows everything that's going on. He knew what's going on in Job's life. He knows what's going on in our lives. Now, he asked the question, where have you been? But that's because he doesn't know. He asked the question so that we would know where he was at. So we would understand what's going on. And when it comes to Satan roaming around, this kind of leads into what we're talking about here. Here's what 
Peter tells us Satan is doing when he's roaming around. He says, be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, knowing this makes the next demonstration of God's sovereignty that much more crazy. Right? Because the second thing is the fact that God suggests Satan consider Job. So Job, doing life God's way, wonderful guy, spiritual, caring for his family, providing for his family. God knows that Satan is out looking for people to destroy. And he says, have you considered Job? What he's saying there is, have you considered trying to get Job destroyed? Now, what if that was you or me? Job had no clue this was going on. Have you considered Job? Why would God allow someone that he himself thinks very highly of? He's the one who said that he's blameless and upright and fearing God, fleeing evil. God said that. Why would he do that? Why would he leave things open for Job potentially to be destroyed? Now, when it comes to God's sovereignty, we talked about this a little bit last week, right? So Isaiah, to those who would be saying, hey, wait a second, that's not right for God to do. God shouldn't be able to do that. Shouldn't allow suffering into the life of somebody as good. Isaiah would say this, you turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made would say to the maker, he did not make me, or what is formed to him who formed it, he has no understanding? In other words, the, the, the person who's created, so God is the, the creator, right? He's the potter. And we are, Job is, the creation, the clay. And if we made something, so it's on the first, the first hour service, I made this little box, and you can put all your power tools in it and stuff, and it's kind of a neat little organizing thing. But if that box could talk, and it says, oh, no, 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 you're not going to put battery power to I'm I'm built for something else. That would make no sense. Or it's kind of like when my kids were growing up, and they would be like, yeah, no, I'm not going to listen to you. That didn't happen, right? I mean, I created you. You know, I could, I could snuff your life out. The other day, by the way, Hagen made a comment. And, uh, you know, Hagen's taller than me. And he keeps telling me that I outweigh him. But I told him, I said, listen, buddy, the last time, which was like about a month or two ago he did that, he ended up in a, in a basket. So just, just FYI, it's still that way in my home. My kids don't give me a hard time. Anyways, Back to what's important. The fact that God is sovereign. He's the one who's created us. We are His creation. And as such, He has the right to say what goes on and what doesn't go on in our lives. And this is a, a thing that Job and his friends, as we see, are going to be wrestling with. Can God be trusted? When things go wrong in our lives, when things get difficult in life, can we trust who God is can we trust in His sovereignty and His goodness and His care to take us through? And the last one, Satan actually brings up, he says God's hedge of protection that's encircling Job and his family and his possessions. 
Satan believed that this is what caused Job to faithfully serve him. Satan believed that because God has done all this stuff and he's kept Job safe, that that's the reason why he was faithfully following God. And he felt like, boy, if you take that away, Job's not going to just mumble under his breath. He's going to curse you to your face. And again, I, I don't know if you guys, how you guys read Scripture, but I'm trying to picture that conversation with Satan and God. Where, God, where Satan's saying to God, I'm going to try to get him to curse you to your face. I mean, that's pretty, I don't know, blunt. And then God takes the challenge, and he gives Satan permission to affect Job's life. He can't deal with him physically at this point, but he can affect the rest of his life. So we've got this high-stakes game of chicken, right? And Job is the one who's going to get smashed. It's not two cars coming at each other. It's, it's almost like a Job sandwich. And, and they're going to be, he's the one who's going to be smashed, and he doesn't know it's coming. We do. We're reading into it. But Job is just going about his life, doing life God's way, having the blessings that he has in his life, and he's about to get smashed. But one of the questions that I had as I was reading through this is, how would I feel, and so I ask you, how would you feel if you were the one that God and Satan were talking about? If, if Satan says, yeah, I'm roaming around the earth looking for somebody that I can devour, destroy, and then God says, hey, have you considered, and put your name in there. Now, so I, I did that. I thought about it. Hey, have you considered Harold? I'm thinking, well, first of all, I kind of liked the idea because it meant that God thought that I was blameless, right? And that I was a man of integrity and you know, upright and, and all that. I thought, wow, it'd be kind of nice. But then the other thought came, I'm thinking, wait a second, if I'm that kind of person, God, why would you do that to me? Why would you put me in a position where I'm going to suffer? And that's the situation that Job finds himself in. Now, if you're reading ahead, I've been encouraging you guys to read ahead in Job. If you've been reading ahead, you know what's coming. And if you haven't, this might be a surprise, but I want to challenge you all again. Read through Job. Just keep reading through Job over the next several weeks because it will help you guys understand more as we go through this what God is doing, what Job and his friends are wrestling with. And then I'd encourage you to, to bring your friends and family because this is a question that everybody asks. People want to know about suffering, especially good people because we all think we're good. Why does God allow good people to suffer. Can we trust a God who would allow us to suffer? Well, what's our takeaways? The great thing about Job, I think, is that it's, uh, it's really raw and it's honest. It's, it's three guys sitting down, hashing out what they believe about who God is, what, what they think about um, how God operates, who they think each other are. And again, if you've read it at all, you'll see that Job and his friends, they get into some heated debates. Job is just frustrated with his friends and trying to defend himself. His friends are just, they're just kind of shooting him down left and right. It's really, like I said, who wants to have 
friends like that, um, you'd be better to have some enemies. But um, let me just give you a couple questions for you to consider this week. All right, as we go through this, let's take this week and consider these three questions or these two questions. The first one is this: If God were to give you a spiritual evaluation, how would He describe you? As you kind of evaluate your life, as we move into this study, and you're evaluating your life, what would God say about your life? Would He would He say, "Yeah, they're blameless, or they're upright. Yeah, they they fear me. In other words, they respect me. They worship me. Uh, they they flee, or they keep moving away from evil." Because here's the deal: God is sovereign. God is everywhere at once, and God knows everything. And so he knows. He knows what's going on in your life. And he's going to use those things in your life. But what would he say about you? Secondly, can you trust God in your suffering even if you don't understand why he's doing it? Are you able to trust who God is based off of what you know about him even though you're going through the suffering that you are? And as you wrestle with that question, I want you to, to remember three important things concerning suffering. The first one is this. The events of our lives are happening under God's control. He's not oblivious to what's going on. Anything that's gone on in your life or is going on in your life has had to pass through the hands of God. He is aware of everything that's going on. The second thing is this. God cannot do evil but he can use evil for our good. So God is God, and he is a good God, and he does not sin, he cannot do evil. But he is God, he is sovereign, and he can use evil to bring about good. Romans 8, 28, again, we've talked about this verse a lot. It says, we know that God causes all things, including suffering, including suffering that we weren't expecting or thinking that we deserve, to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to His purpose. So if you're going through suffering today, or as you look down the road and things look pretty good, but then God brings some suffering along into your life, or you know somebody who's going through suffering, ultimately, God is bringing that about for a purpose. Ultimately. And what He says to do is, number one, love Him. What's that look like? What does it mean to love? Love means looking out for the best of somebody else, no matter what it might cost us. When we love God, it means we do life God's way. Whether we understand it or not, whether we think it's a good thing to do or not, we do life God's way, no matter what we think or other people think, because we know it's the best way to do it. Even during a time of suffering, that we respond to the suffering, respond to the people in our lives during the suffering the way God wants us to do. And that we're called according to His purpose. Well, what's the purpose? Verse 29 tells us, that the purpose is that we be conformed to the image of Christ. In other words, we become more like Jesus. We think more like Him. We respond more like Him. And so God brings things into our lives and He allows things into our lives in order for us to learn what it is to respond more like Christ. And so as you're thinking about suffering, as you're going through suffering, that's one of the things that we need to remember, that He wants to bring about the good, and the good is becoming more like Christ. And then the last one is this, that Jesus understands suffering. He died for you. He died for me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, 
And He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus Christ is the ultimate and only good person. Right? He's 100% good. Never committed sin. And yet He still suffered. Why? He suffered for our sin. He took our sin on Himself so that we wouldn't have to suffer the consequences of our sin. And with that, His suffering, and I think this is true of most people, I know it is for me, Jesus' suffering is what drew us to Him for salvation, right? When we think that God put on flesh, lived a perfect life, and then died on the cross, it's that dying on the cross, that suffering, that we go like, wow, God must really love me. And that suffering is what drew us to Him for salvation. Well, the same thing can happen in our lives if we do life God's way, if we love Him and are called according to His purpose in our suffering, that suffering will draw people to us and then we can point them to Christ. It always comes back to the Gospel. And so as people watch us go through suffering and we do it God's way, they'll be like, man, how are you doing that? How are you going through that with such a great attitude? With what seems to be some great understanding. And we tell them, because I'm just doing it God's way. I'm trusting who God is and how He operates and I'm doing life His way. And then we can tell them about who God is and ask them, do you have a relationship with Him? And then share the Gospel with them. Suffering is a, a difficult topic. But when we, when we understand that Jesus has suffered for us, that He's the one who has taken that step to show us how to suffer, then we can understand, we can trust God in our suffering. So as you process these things this week, and as you think about these things this week, be working on those questions. And then, be inviting friends in your family who are maybe have that question or going through difficult times. God's not afraid of, of difficult questions like this. And He's got an answer. And uh, we'll be able to give them that answer. We're not going to close in a, in a song this morning. We're going to go ahead and just close in prayer. So go ahead and stand. And let me close out. In